When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Today, we're, we're continuing the winding road through 25 years of Ravens history with a look at a great game, one of the really fun wins in Ravens history, the 2008 closeout of Texas Stadium in the Dallas area, uh, Arlington to be, to, to be more specific, and all of the special things that happened that game. Here to join, to join me and talk about that is, is Slava Cooperstein, uh, Cooperstein, I'm sorry. Uh, thanks very much for joining us, Slava. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Ken. Thanks for having me. So I, I want just this to be your angle on this game. So kind of take us into this game in terms of where the Ravens were and, and what you think it meant in Ravens history. Sure. So, uh, you, you know, this this game sort of came to be uh, when uh, Jerry Jones, uh, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, uh, sort of asked the league to handpick us to be the uh, team to uh, basically be the last team that visited Texas Stadium before they shut it down forever. Um, a, a historic stadium, the home for Dallas when they won their five Super Bowl championships. It was the place where Emmett Smith beat the rushing record. Um, and Jerry Jones, looking at our horrible 5-11 and 11 2007 season, uh, sort of thought that we would be a nice, easy uh, win on the way out. 
Yeah, it's, I, I remember that well as well, of course, from the very first series of that 2008 year against the against Cincinnati. It's very apparent the Ravens had a different thing going and uh, had a lot of their secondary of dying men in 2007 had been largely repaired. And, the, and they actually held together very well in the secondary for the year. Uh, it's also, of course, the rookie year for Joe Flacco, for Ray Rice. The Ravens three headed monster at running back is probably at about its peak with McLean. Uh, Rice and McGahey, each making very significant contributions, and, uh, and that certainly showed up in this game. Absolutely, and uh, and you know the other thing is it was uh, John Harbaugh's uh, uh, rookie year as well, and I think that uh, uh, that Jerry Jones was uh, licking his chops at the prospect of uh, playing against a team with a new head coach and a new starting quarterback. So, you know, one of the interesting sidelights to this is the is the coaching uh, change here. We're going to have a separate episode in this, but just to, to, to talk about it at a high level, Garrett and Harbaugh were both considered for the Ravens job. Yes. Uh, yeah, they were. In fact, uh, I believe that Garrett was the first uh, person that was offered uh, the position as head coach, and he turned it down ostensibly thinking that if he waited around uh, in Dallas a little bit longer, he would be the successor to Wade Phillips. It took him three years to actually get that job. It wasn't until 2011 he became the head coach there. Uh, really weird situation with Wade Phillips, who seemed distraught, confused on the sideline towards the end of this game. Uh, you know, if I were Wade Phillips, I think I would have been distraught uh, at the end of this game as well. Um, uh, but, you know, going going into it is even more than all of this backdrop, there was a lot of pressure going into this game. It was a Saturday night game, nationally televised uh, during the holidays. Uh, it was a December 20th uh, game. Uh, both both teams were 9-5. and five. Um, If they win, they maintain control of their destiny for the playoffs. We had just gotten swept by the Steelers in the season. Um, in attendance were Roger Staubach, Tony Dorsett, Emmett Smith, Michael Irvin, Randy White. And Deion Sanders, who was also doing color commentary along with uh, Marshall Falk. So there was a lot going on. One of the things I remember is Deion Sanders during the game, because he played for the Ravens relatively recently, kind of calling out the Ravens' plays as they were at the line of scrimmage. It was annoying. It's like, they're okay, they're trying to get Todd Heap matched up on a linebacker. Okay, they're, <laughs> this is a run left. It's, it's just he had a, an amazing ability to diagnose what was going on there. He probably could do it some for other teams, but he obviously felt more – uh, secure doing it for the Ravens who he played for before. Absolutely. And then as the game went on, he started to comment uh, about how the Ravens were figuring out defensively what the uh, Cowboys were doing on offense. So it was kind of funny to see the tables turn a little bit in that respect. Um, go ahead. No, t- take us through to the, to the, to the major points of this game sure. and the way you'd like to tell the story. Sure. Um, so, uh, you know, in, in this game, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I thought that it might be interesting to hear who the starting defense and offense uh, were, uh, just to travel through time a little bit. Um, on defense, we had Trevor Price, Justin Bannon, Haloti Nada, Ray Lewis, Bart Scott, Terrell Suggs, Jarrett Johnson, Ed Reed, and Jim Leonard, who was uh, starting after uh, Dewan Landry had gone on IR after sustaining a spinal concussion from an attempted tackle on Jamal Lewis, who was at this point on the Browns. Uh, Something that I didn't remember about Jim Leonard in watching this game was that he also handled punt returns and did did it quite well. 
I kind of forgotten that too. Jim Leonard, remarkable role. First of all, a lot of people think the 2008 defense was better even than the 2000 or 2006 defense. A lot of people think 2006 better than 2000, but 2008 was the top in terms of Devoa. And Jim Leonard was a, was a really significant contributor to that. And, and the, the one thing he did that was special above all else is he wore the green dot in the playoffs that year for three games, despite the fact Ray was healthy. And that was the only three times that I'm aware of from 1997 through the end of the 2012 season, so a 16-year period, where Ray was healthy and did not have the green dot. Do you think that might have been to compensate for the uh, some of the injuries that we had? I mean, McAllister was on IR, so Fabian Washington was starting um, alongside Samari Roll. Do you think that maybe that was part of the reasoning for that? I'm, I'm not sure what the reasoning would have been on the green dot because they didn't take Lewis off the field. So, you know, one of the one of the reasons you do it, and the most logical reason is you want to take that player off the field. That's what they did with, with Patrick Owasso by moving the green dot to safety. Patrick Queen, you know, same kind of situation. But I, I don't really understand the reasoning otherwise. Uh, safety, generally speaking, has to come up to make a call, and that's one of the reasons why safeties more infrequently have the green dot than, than inside linebackers. So that was, that was a little surprising to me, but it's, it's remarkable. I, you know, I've got pictures of that Miami playoff game, for example, that, uh, you know, have Lewis in the foreground and you see his 52 helmet. And, and there's also a Jim Leonard 36 helmet with the green dot. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. He was a pretty incredible player stepping in for Dewan Landry. And really, I didn't see much drop off. Uh, and I think that's a credit to, uh, uh, Jim Leonard's intelligence and instincts because he wasn't as physically gifted as uh, as Dewan Landry. Mm-hmm. That's certainly true. Um, I noticed a couple of guys that I think uh, players that are sort of funny to remember. Um, uh, Yaman figures. Um, <laughs> he's sort of in the pantheon of these guys like B.J. Sams and David Reed, who you know at one point or another ever provided a little bit of spark on a kick return and you really thought that they were going to be something and then really didn't pan out. Um, and it seemed like every year there was one of those guys for several years. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You know, you mentioned that Jim Leonard had the punt return duties, certainly something we would have figured figures for, but one of the things with Harbaugh is if you're a fumbler, you lose the job as a punt returner pretty quickly. And Yaman figures, uh, true to form fumbled in this game. Um, <laughs> And then we also had uh, Jared Gaither, um, who was a supplemental um, draft pick uh, out of Maryland, who uh, I think academic ineligibility forced him into the NFL or drove him to the NFL. And uh, back in 2008, he was playing at a very high level. And I I think most of us thought that he was going to be our left tackle for the next decade. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm glad you mentioned that because in 08 and 09, Gaither was one hell of a defensive tackle. Uh, sorry, a, a left tackle. And it, it was it, things started to go awry when the Ravens decided they want to switch sides with him and Orr. And frankly, they went awry for both players. Orr never played at a higher level or never played at, at, at as high a level as he did as a rookie when he could really use his physicality on that right side. Um, Gaither, uh, you know, lost interest in football. You know, a lot of people said he feigned an injury. Uh, you know, I think the Ravens were actually somewhat fortunate that he was on the chargers when he really got his big contract and he pretty much cheated them out of that money immediately, you know, in terms of, of underperformance and, and not, uh, uh, you know, really not showing up frankly for the chargers. He earned that contract 
in a four-game span, really dangerous to do that, but a four-game span of playing for the Chargers the previous year where, where he really rejuvenated his career. But he was a hell of a player, and it's just a very disappointing, self-destructive player. Absolutely. And then uh, another interesting player that sort of is on a more positive note, but similar is Jason Brown, who was our center at the time, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, ends up signing with the Rams, uh, St. Louis Rams, and becomes the highest paid center uh, in the NFL. And, you know, really looked like he was going to be an elite player for a long time. He lost interest in football as well, but at least, you know, he went on to, there was an article recently about him going on and doing, uh, being a farmer and yeah. uh, and and providing uh, crops to local food pantries and stuff, so a bit of a more positive uh, end to that career, but uh, sort of two offensive linemen that just football wasn't it for them. Yeah, it's it's amazing how much that offensive line changed because in in '09, which I think was probably the best Ravens offensive line in their history, it's real close with '08, but in '09 um, it was uh, Burke getting signed. And PFF immediately scored him as one of the best players in the league. I'll say this, in, in trying to judge how good a center needs to play uh, in, in, using, in doing Ravens offensive line scoring for all these years, Matt Burke messed up the curve for a lot of years. It took me a lot of time to correct the requisite scores per grade level downwards to reflect other players and you know what was reasonable. Just extraordinarily good technical center. Absolutely. And, uh, and, you know, he, he had his own little arc here where he kind of got dominated in that uh, NFC championship game, but then got his revenge the next year. So that was a good end to that Ravens career. Um, and, then, uh, and then finally, Frank Walker, who I think a lot of Ravens fans will roll their eyes just hearing that name. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a guy that could, you know, look like a star at one moment and then the next moment he's giving up a back breaking play. So those are, those are sort of the funny characters that I really noticed yeah I, 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 walker a guy i think probably is beaten on a little bit too much for this team I, i'll bring up one more chris chester at right guard uh had the job ahead of marshall yonda and marshall yonda got the job i don't remember if it's in 08 or 89 i really thought it was late 08 and he had a he had had a big game against the steelers but maybe he was hurt or something in this game and chester was a guy who went on to washington played well he was a very good lineman he just wasn't good enough to, to break the, the Baltimore interior offensive line that would star then for several years with uh, Grubbs, uh, Burke, and Yonda. That was just a you – know, we look at our offensive line today, and boy, if you had that group, you'd really have something. You, uh, you, you bring up an interesting question. Are you more jealous of this offensive line or this linebacking core? Boy, that's a tough call. So would I rather have Lewis and Scott instead of the current guys, or would I rather have this offensive line? And so I think, I actually think this offensive line would certainly it's five positions also would do more, including the real quality tackles with, with Gaither and Anderson to help the 2021 Ravens and then switching out for Ray Lewis and Bart Scott would. That's uh, uh, those are two really good options to have. I'll put yes. it that way. Yes. Um, Great, great side question there. That's unbelievably good. So tell us more about the game, though, and, and, and some of the big plays that really caught your attention. Sure. So um, starting in the first quarter, um, and of course, this was the Tony Romo-led uh, Cowboys with T.O., Jason Witten, and Tashard Choice uh, with DeMarcus Ware and Zach Thomas on defense, and Chris Canny, future Raven. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but in the, in the first quarter, uh, first half really was sort of a defensive slog with 
a lot of field goals from the Ravens. Um, Ed Reed uh, comes up with an interception in the beginning, uh, sort of just a pitch and catch. I mean, they, the announcers mentioned something about Romo having hurt his back, maybe hurt his deep ball accuracy mm-hmm. a little bit, but it was a classic Reed interception where he was just at the right place at the right time. Um, but then shortly after that, DeMarcus Ware forced a fumble near, the, near our goal line, uh, which was his 20th sack of the season. And at that time, the Cowboys were 16-4, and four when Ware forced a turnover. Um, mm. That was uh, quickly followed by a Tashard Choice uh, touchdown. Uh, Choice was a rookie at the time, had had some nice uh, speed and bounced to the outside. We followed that up with a field goal. Um, uh, the second quarter, uh, Stover, uh, Matt Stover uh, kicked another field goal, and then a second Ed Reed interception, sort of a similar variety, led to the third Stover field goal, making it 9-7 and seven at the half. Um, it was sort of impressive that Ed Reed was able to come up with these, uh, uh, interceptions in the way that he was because he, he was uh, tasked with covering, helping cover T.O. most of the game. Yeah. I, and I remember one of the comments that Romo made after the game, Romo very frustrated with this loss more than most because the blocking had been so bad. He was under incredible pressure towards the end of the game. But in terms of that first half interception by Reed, it was thrown from the Dallas 37, meaning not that's where the ball was, but that's where the line of scrimmage was, and intercepted at the 20. So it traveled 43 yards from the original line of scrimmage. And Reed came over, you know, got in front of Owens, made the pickup high. It was a classic Reed, you know, play the football, know what's going on. And Romo said after, like, you know, that's not an interception. That's a punt. And the problem was that Reed then returned it for 29 yards to, to basically to midfield of the Baltimore 49. Uh, and then they got, a, they got a start on a very short uh, field goal drive to end the half and, and take the 9-7 lead. That's exactly right. Um, and... Uh, uh, so at this point, for, for a game that had as many uh, fireworks as this one did, the, the first half really was sort of your classic low-scoring Ravens game where, where you know, holding, holding the uh, opposing offense to single digits and kicking a lot of field goals of our own. Um, and so in the third quarter, uh, this, is where, um, this is where the heroics began for Derek Mason, uh, one of my personal all-time uh, favorites, uh, uh, whoever put on a Ravens uniform, um, he was playing with a uh, separated shoulder. He had suffered the injury from uh, the game against the Texans a few weeks before. He had to come out of the game three separate occasions uh, and couldn't move um, couldn't move uh, his left, I believe, his left arm at all. Um, so uh, in the third quarter, McLean, uh, Leron McLean, who is our uh, uh, sort of mix of a fullback and running back mm-hmm. uh, ended up fumbling and uh, Dallas safety uh, uh, Hamlin jumps on it. And as he sort of rolls, as the momentum sort of carries it, it launches it out of his arms right into Derek Mason's hands and he recovers it. I mean, I, I don't know how many fumbles you'll ever see like that, but it, it was a sort of an instance of Derek Mason being a veteran, knowing to be at the right place at the right time. If you're around the ball, good things can happen. And he understood that. Very, very fateful fumble. And, uh, and it, it, the one it reminds me of from this year is the fumble near the goal line recovered by Duvernay and yeah. on the, the score. I mean, it's just, it was that kind of a lucky bounce with multiple defenders in the area and only one other offensive player. And very rarely do you end up recovering that uh, ball if you're on the offense. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, and that, that ended up keeping things moving for us because on, 
a little bit later uh, down the line, uh, we're uh, same drive. Same, yes, same drive uh, on third and eight. Flacco misses a wide open heap, and on fourth and eight, we line up for a field goal, and uh, Sam Cook uh, picks up nine yards on a on a run on a fake field goal. And and on this play, Dallas overloaded uh, uh, the uh, the line with eight players on the offense's right mm-hmm. side, um, and I think. Uh, as I recall, Cook, I think, said that they had a lot of leeway. Special teams had a lot of leeway if they made that read and, and believed that they had that opening that they could go for it. Um, yeah, he, you know, the same exact thing happened in the first game of the 2011 season. So it's, it's you know, three years later, but the Ravens were up 27 to nothing, about to kick the extra point in that opener against the Steelers. And Cook saw this 8-3 um, alignment and they, they set it up for, for the run for two points there. It wasn't a big play, but it's one of those plays where, you know, the Ravens are basically trying to send the message of you better not overload against us to try and block a field goal because we'll do this to you. Right. And, and I think maybe against the Steelers a few uh, uh, against the Raiders a few years later, they did, they did a, I think, I think you might be right. I can't remember that exact play, but I, I think I, there were other instances where cook did it, or at least one other instance. And uh, is it, do, you, do you know, is Cook still a 100% passer? Uh, as, far, as far as I know. I, I can look that up for you quickly while you tell the rest of the story, though. Sure. Um, so then we get to the fourth quarter. Um, the score is 16-7. Uh, uh, Dallas gets a quick field goal, bring it 16-10. to 10. We respond with a field goal of our own. And then Dallas, uh, 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 Romo has a long pass to Witten. Uh, which sets up a touchdown uh, to uh, Terrell Owens over Fabian Washington, uh, which really I- illustrates, I think, a uh, shortcoming of, uh, of uh, Garrett's, uh, Jason Garrett's play calling up until this point. Uh, with, uh, with Chris McAllister uh, on injured reserve at this point, our, our cornerbacks were sort of, I felt the weakness of this defense uh, as, as far as there was a weakness. Um, Fabian Washington, smart role, a little bit smaller guys. Um, I, they, I, I really think that they should have been playing a little bit more bully ball with, uh, uh, you know, bombs to T.O. and uh, and Jason Witten because, uh, you, you know, there, there was no way that they could consistently run on us uh, with the D-line and the, uh, and the linebackers that we had. Yeah, this 2008 season, actually, McAllister had been benched earlier in the year at Miami when they were just turning their season around. They went into Miami. They were two and three. They really needed a win. So did Miami, of course. And uh, McAllister ended up playing like six plays of dime the entire game. But uh, but they had him benched for that game. And at first I thought this must be some sort of a behavioral issue because there was a checkered pass there with Chris McAllister, as we all know, but it wasn't, it was just Harbaugh saying, you know, this is, this is the end of the line for him. And uh, sure enough, he was gone. I don't remember if he got traded that year to the saints or whether it came uh, during that off season, but, uh, but that was the end of McAllister in Baltimore. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And (laughs) we we sure could have used him uh, at at full strength, but you know, such is life. Um, So, at this point, the game is nineteen seventeen. Um, uh, uh, Ravens are ahead, and there's three minutes and forty two seconds left in the game. Um, we line up with six offensive linemen left to right, um, and uh, we put a lot of beef uh, on this offensive line. Uh, we had Adam Terry at six foot eight, three thirty five. 
Willie Anderson, six foot six, three thirty. Jared Gaither, six foot nine, tied for tallest in the NFL at that time at mm-hmm. three hundred forty pounds. Ben Grubbs at six three, three ten. Jason Brown at six three, three twenty. And Chris Chester, as you mentioned, at six four, three oh three, with Heap blocking on the right side and Clayton out wide. Um, the Cowboys had five uh, defenders at the line of scrimmage, two linebackers. And the safeties, uh, pr- pretty close uh, uh, stacking the box. And uh, as the play begins, they rush in to stop the run. Um, a good block by Heap seals off the right side. And Adam Terry forces Demarcus Ware out to around about 6 o'clock, as you uh, uh, reference sometimes. 12 to 6, there you go. That's right. Um, Anderson stonewalls his guy. And uh, Gaither and Grubbs p- uh, push a defender out to the left. And Chris Chester makes a tremendous block on the nose tackle, also forcing him to the left, and then disengages and blocks Zach Thomas to the right, uh, which creates the hole, and McGahee just splits the safeties down the middle. Mm-hmm. He uh, takes it 77 yards, longest touchdown of his career, The sec- at this exact moment, the second longest touchdown run in Ravens history after Jamal uh, Lewis's. I, I, I believe he. Uh, it was during it, the, his record-setting game against the Browns. Um, and, and, uh, you know, it, the call is just amazing with Marshall, Falk and Dion. They, they just can't believe their eyes. Right. It is. It's the highlight of Chris Chester's career as a Raven, that particular play. And what, what, uh, Slava is referring to is, is a combination block. So, so he teed up, uh, the nose tackle for Burke to take responsibility. And then he turns the other way. And when you pin and turn like that, that can create some of the biggest holes you imagine if it's done properly. Because there's, there's, there's not another player there to, to take responsibility. And uh, he did a great job and, and uh, got it, uh, got it uh, opened up. That, that turned out to be, I don't know if you, you wanted to get into that, in terms of Texas Stadium history? Uh, w- w- was it the longest? Yes. It was, it was at that time the longest in Texas Stadium history by an opponent. Uh, so it's it was they, they Dallas themselves might have had a 99 yard run by Dorsett, right. but by an opponent, this was the longest ever. Um, a, a few records that wouldn't stand very long. Yeah, um, there you go. <laughs> um, Dallas quickly responded. Uh, again, this is the game plan that they should have gone with to be to the beginning, but it was a long pass to Creighton, uh, followed by a long pass to Terrell Owens. And then a, a, a nice pass uh, to Witten uh, for a touchdown over the middle. Um, Jim, Jim Leonard is covering him. It's a, or at least assisting. Um, and that's certainly a mismatch from, from a size perspective, uh, which brings the score within 26 to 24. Uh, Ravens are still leading it. And at this moment, um, uh, Marshall Falk and Dion Sanders are, are debating uh, whether to go for an onside kick or a kickoff and, Marshall Falk says an onside kick or uh, says you should kick off and defend the play. But Dion says, and I quote, the last time the Ravens had the ball, I saw Willis McGahee. I don't know if you guys saw that. He hit his head on the goalpost and Dion advocates for the onside kick. (laughs) Um, Lucky for us, uh, the Cowboys uh, decide not to go for the onside kick. They kick off and elect to give the ball back to us. Um, And, uh, and, so with one minute and 33 uh, seconds left in the fourth quarter, uh, Leron McLean, uh, pain train McLean, as some of us called him, was lined up uh, in, in the backfield. 
Uh, and again, uh, we had six offensive linemen, uh, this time with Gaither on the left, Adam Terry on the right. Heap uh, motions uh, from right to left. Um, and uh, and uh, Lorenzo Neal was actually in at fullback the single year that he played um, with, with, with the Ravens. Um, towards the end of his career, storied career, I think he was uh, in the aughts on the all-decade uh, team. Um, uh, all, all sorts of accolades, a really um, storied career for him. And then uh, Mark Clayton again out wide. So this time Dallas commits six defenders to the line of scrimmage uh, with three linebackers behind. And uh, one of the safeties slides off to the offense's left in response to Heap's motion which is really critical here. Um, mm-hmm. uh, ben Grubbs pulls to the right and his uh, block forces uh, and the defensive end, Anthony Spencer um, out forces him to try to arm tackle Clayton. Um, sorry, McLean okay. yeah. and McLean breaks the arm tackle. Heap misses his block, but he forces DeMarcus Ware to run around him. Uh, and this is something actually Marshall Falk had been, had mentioned a few times in the game that uh, Cowboys defenders, for whatever reason, often opted to run around the blocks, uh, which is a risky proposition because that can create a, a, a certainly a significant hole. Um, and it certainly did in this case. Um, Lorenzo Neal absolutely demolishes number 66, Brady James, and McLean runs through James' uh, uh, attempt at an ankle tackle as he's on the ground. And uh, with a full head of steam, uh, Laurent McLean's stiff, uh, stiff arms, uh, uh, Ken Hamlin into the ground. Future Raven Ken Hamlin. Uh, that's right. I, for, I, I forgot about that. Um, and uh, you know, into the next century, and and uh, Mark Clayton uh, is doing a good job of blocking the cornerback at at, at, at the top. And uh, Laron, uh, and Lorenzo Neal actually keeps pace with uh, Laron McLean until about the twenty yard line or so. For me, this is like an all time effort play by Lorenzo mm-hmm. Neal for. For him at that age and at that size to to keep up with Laurent McLean, um, a little bit of fancy footwork by McLean makes the corner sort of flip his hips, uh, allowing McLean to sort of easily trot into the uh, end zone. Uh, yeah. All the while, Dion says, "Here we go again. Here we go again. What did I just say?" Um, it's a great play. So, eighty-three yards on that play set yet anew. Dallas Stadium or uh, Cowboy Stadium record for an opposing uh, running back or, or opposing runner of any sort. That and match. and tied Jamal Lewis for the longest Ravens touchdown in history. Um, uh, funny little thing at the end of this play, uh, as McLean is uh, running into the end zone, Clayton tries to get him to down, you know, go down at the one yard line. Dion's, <laughs> la- <laughs> Dion's laughing about it, you know. <laughs> Um, it, it it wouldn't have been a terrible idea, but Dallas did have three timeouts at that point. And with a minute and 36 left, they still would have had a chance, I guess, to uh, to get the ball under some circumstance. But uh, but that was an interesting idea. I mean, there were, it's you, you have to have you have to talk about that in advance to get somebody to really do it. Uh, I don't think players in general, they you know, they want to score. And if you scored on that breakthrough run against the Steelers in 2016 uh, that really would have been a big benefit in terms of win probability to win the game, then I, I don't think you're going to stop McLean from scoring here. Absolutely. Um, and actually, I'm realizing I forgot a, a, a key play uh, in the third quarter that was after um, Cook's uh, fake field goal uh, run. Uh, uh, 
was uh, was Flacco's touchdown pass to Derek Mason mm-hmm. um, in the far left corner of the end zone. Um, Mason, uh, you know, gets off the line of scrimmage and he's not moving his injured arm whatsoever. He's basically running like a one-armed man and sort of flips around in the end zone where only a toss to his right arm cradled into his right arm it was the only place the ball could go that a defender wouldn't be able to get to it. Flacco puts it on the money and, and, and Mason basically makes a one-armed catch. Uh, and this is sort of a game that we all remember fondly uh, of, of Derek Mason's uh, sort of displaying his toughness and his heroics um, as, as the all-time Ravens uh, leading receiver in a number of categories. Yeah. A great, it was a great game for Mason with that and the fumble recovery. Um, just a wonderful game to recount. I know the the Ravens basically left the field. And one of the things that Ray Lewis said is, let's blow this place up. And and, uh, and and then the Cowboys got to stick around for all the post-game ceremonial stuff. Now, we've been there. The 1991 Orioles left Memorial Stadium with a big loss. Uh, the big thing we took from that were Flanagan getting a couple outs at the end of the game. And then the, uh, uh, the Orioles getting to take the field again one player at a time by position, which was kind of a real cool kind of a field of dreams backdrop to the uh, to the closing of that stadium. But uh, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't in the final game at home. And as Ravens fans, we're all very happy it didn't work out for the Cowboys in this game. And, and it was actually the third team since 1996 to defeat uh, a team closing its old stadium, uh, uh, which is an interesting stat. I don't know who keeps that stat. Do you, but... do you know of how many? Oh, I know. I certainly don't know. Okay. I'd be interested to know what the denominator is that. Is it three of three or is it three of 19 kind of thing? But there were a lot of stadiums that were changing in that uh, right. in that era. Right. Absolutely. Slava, outstanding having you on. Just, just, just a lot of depth for an individual game, which was good, I think. And it's a game a lot of people have very good memories about. And come on, people. Pick some good games like Slava did. Don't You don't have to pick all, uh, all uh, you know, heartbreaking, gut-wrenching losses uh, uh, every time. Thanks thanks very much for coming on. Uh, other people, if you hear this, uh, you want to do an individual game, you want to do a player comparison, you want to talk about Derek Mason if you wanted to, you want to talk about Corey Ivey, not if you want to talk about Mount Rushmore, but otherwise, please give me a DM on Twitter. Uh, I'll get back to you very quickly. We'll set up a slow. Slava, this whole thing took us, what, a few days to turn around? Yeah, not not, not much time at all. All right. Well, thanks very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. This was great. I had a, a lot of fun rewatching this. Yeah, me too. Yeah, talk to you next time. Long Take care. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.